Welcome to episode 209 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbeal, and today my special guest is a friend of the show, a friend of mine. It's Marshall Sterling. Me and Marshall go over three races from this past Saturday at Gulfstream Park. Those races were 9, 11, and 12. And some angles that we talk about are Marshall's 2024 betting philosophy and also why, for me and him, domestic product could be a nice bet next time out. This is Redboard Rewind. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's edition of Redboard Rewind. It's podcast two of two. Happy to have a close friend, confidant, uh, someone who I literally love to talk racing almost every single day with. It's Marshall Sterling. Marshall, how are you? I'm doing well, Spencer. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, no, I uh, I always love talking racing, and and especially too, um, you know, every every time we talk, the uh, the topics are always different. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've I've always learned a lot from you, and and certainly uh, learned a lot from just just talking racing in general. Like I said, excited to have you aboard. We're going to talk some Gulfstream Park racing, but before we get into that, something that me and you were talking a little bit off camera about, we were talking just about handle in general and if you know for me i'd say my handle's probably been down the last couple of years and uh for you it's the opposite and i think that would be a little bit interesting to hear people you know hear your ideas when a lot of people are you know talking about having their handle be down compared to up and yours is up and i just love to hear kind of like what you're looking at is it more of a you know are you spreading it out more day by day are you more of the weekend warrior now i know back in the day like co like COVID after COVID, a lot of it was just you and me were jumping on and playing Wednesday, Thursdays and Fridays. And then obviously the weekend, uh, what's it more like for you now? Yeah. So I, I've definitely, um, put a lot more focus into, you know, the product that I'm betting and, and certainly the, the races that I'm betting. Um, and so, you know, because of that, uh, you know, the, the weekday stuff, I, I haven't really focused on too much, but, um, you know, Saturdays and Sundays where I have a lot more time to be able to dedicate to, you know, looking at, uh, at the data detailed and, and really focus on hitting, you know, your, your doubles, um, your pick threes and, and pick fours. I mean, that's, that's where most of my play goes. Um, and so, you know, really trying to, to put a lot more handle through on the, on the doubles and pick three side, um, and, and making up for it when I don't hit on, on those pick fours and pick fives. Cause, I mean, one of the mistakes that I know I I myself make a lot, or and and I know a lot of horse players do is, you know, you, you focus on your trying to trying to just swing to the fences. Let's hit that pick four, pick five, for 10k, 15k, 100k. Um, and the unfortunate part is, you know, when you go three out of four, four out of five, um, you know that uh, that is always uh, it's just pains pains me when you connect on two or three opinions, but you never capitalized on it. So for me, I really focused on upping my handle on the, on the, um, on the doubles and pick threes um, just to, just to try to offset more of the um, uh, pick four and pick five handle. 
it, it's so great to hear that as well, because it's just the difference of, a, of opinion from you and me and a lot of others around here. Whereas a lot of other people, they decide, oh, I'm going to play, but because of, you know, takeout, et cetera, I want to play the pick six and the pick five just to make sure that I'm going to get my bang for my buck. I'm going to, you know, if I only hit once every, you know, 14 to, you know, 21 days, which is still very hard to do, at least I'm going to make that money up. And I feel by playing doubles and pick threes, and yes, the takeout is terrible. You need to really decide which tracks you're going to play. Some, you know, I, I used to have a web page that you could just literally update every single day with what the takeouts were, you know, for each meet. And you would just, you know, be able to hit a scroll bar and it would tell you what the lowest one was. And I'd make sure to play a ton of handle there. Why do you think it is that just everyone doesn't want to play? Obviously, it's a less payout, but I feel like. It's a lot easier to put two horses together and three horses together than it is to put six. I mean, listen, we've all been playing this game for a long time. And, you know, how many times have we said it when we're doing tick construction? Oh, my God, like seven horses in this race out of nine. And then you instantly want to start, you know, okay, I have to go slimmer in the next few races. And you realize if you just maybe, okay, let's say that was the third race of a pick five. If you just played double on the beginning and double on the end you'd hit both doubles because you were able to spread out a little bit more than just having to play singles on the end since you spread so much in the beginning legs. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, one of those things too, that if you do end up hitting your pick four or pick five, you know, then that, that turns, you know, a, a good day into a great day. Right. Um, you know, in, in with that, you know, you're not just trying to grind out, you know, win bets or, or anything like that. So, you know, I, I've really taken that to heart and, and really focused on making sure that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my money in and putting, you know, my money where my mouth is and where my opinion is just to ensure that, um, that I'm, I'm covering up for the, for the times where my opinion is terrible. Um, in, in this card included, um, you know, I thought that there was some tough races in the late pick five, um, but I thought the late, late pick five was hittable. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I definitely attacked it looking at, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of money, most of my money actually went through doubles in this case. Um, but I really wanted to try to maximize that effort, uh, overall, uh, because in this case I, I did not hit pick four or pick five at all. Um, but, uh, I, I definitely hit, um, a, a, quite a quite a bit of doubles um so with that you know i i wasn't out for the day then do you feel that if you were going to break it down like from 100 percent, would you say doubles are like 50 percent pick threes maybe 25 and then it kind of drops down from there for the rest of the type of handle that you do or are you playing doubles even more than half the time no i'm playing doubles more than half the time um because again you know like you said earlier it's much easier to to connect two good opinions together than it is to try to even connect three. Um, so, so for me, uh, I'm, I'm focusing probably 75% through doubles um, and then, you know, divvying it out from there, depending on what, what the opinions are on the sequence. Is there now the old school, what method of doing doubles is obviously you want to try to play, you know, a bunch of single tickets. You're not trying to play three by three doubles because, for a dollar, that's a nine dollar ticket. Some doubles don't even come back to pay nine dollars. What has kind of been your your bread and butter ticket construction when it comes to doubles? Yeah, you know, I I, I absolutely focus on on the opinions that I that I have that are really strong, and and weight that accordingly. Accordingly, right? So, um, if they're if I like two horses in a race, um, they're not going to be liked evenly. It, it it doesn't matter. It's almost never 
the fact that you're like, oh, yeah, these two horses have the exact same win percentage uh, chance in my mind. Never happens that way. So uh, I always weight my opinions accordingly um, and and try to make sure that um, even though I think that two horses could win a leg, um, that it's that it's spread out in a way that, again, emphasizes which horse I feel has a better chance than the other, even if it's, you know, 49 percent to 51 percent with that lag. Uh, I, I want to make sure that I'm maximizing that and, and almost micromanaging it to that extent. And it's, and it's paid off for me this year. Um, so it's one of those things that so far, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So keep on doing it and until, until it breaks me. And it's going to be a two part question. The first question being, you know, was it kind of like the light bulb moment? Like just one weekend you, you finally like realized, Oh, I've been doing it wrong for, you know, X, Y, Z reason. And now if I do ABC, this will allow me to, you know, be a much, you know, more complete handicapper and how you talked about, you know, breaking it down and doing the math and leveraging opinions. If you're not willing to do that in gambling sports in general, and I'm talking horse racing, just gambling in general, where you don't leverage opinions. I feel like you're already behind the eight ball. And I feel like that's where a lot of horse racing makes it difficult when we try to, you know, get the newbies in. And it's like, yes, the game has a big, learning curve but there's got to be a better way for us to teach that unless nobody goes out to the racetrack to drink beers and try and do math first of all it doesn't usually work half the time when you're when you're when you're drinking beers and trying to do math it's just not gonna be that thing that works but for me being also you know more into the sports betting side of things now as well and you see guys you know on let's say it's just a regular you know football card you know obviously we have the super bowl coming up this weekend but you know people will be betting you know xyz amount on this team that, you know, maybe they like equally and it's like, well, if I like one matchup better than the other, why would I not put more money on it? And they're like, well, if you lose and you only go 50 50 and you go one and one, you're going to end up a loser for the day. Yeah, but I'd rather be a loser and learn and just try and figure out how I can get my opinion, because maybe next time I'm not going to play both bets and I'm going to play only one bet and then I'll be one no for the day. And listen, at least you're winning, even though you're having, you know, a lighter handle day, if you get what I'm trying to say with that. Yeah, yeah, no. So um, something when I first started doing handicapping was, um, you know, print out, um, you know, the the card um, for, for an, a day that has already taken place and do hypothetical bets. And what I did was I actually did a statistical analysis on that to see what actually worked and what didn't uh, from a testing standpoint. So I did a three-week test uh, of my what I'll call lazy method that I did before and then did a three week test um, with the same amount of handle doing the, you know, more updated or modified um, strategy and, you know, come to find out after, after that, after that amount of time, um, you know, I actually had the same amount of winning tickets uh, as I did previously, but because my money was in so much better that I, it was the difference between winning and losing. Um, and I thought for myself, like that was such an eye opening um, uh, experiment where even though I didn't win any more bets, it was just that because my bets were so many, so much more focused to them that that made the difference between me being that positive versus that negative. Um, and, and that really was eye opening to me to start really focusing on that betting portion um that 
every every pro handicapper you talk to, you know, they'll tell you to focus on the bets, focus on your betting strategy more than the horse racing strategy. And it's dead on right. Um, people aren't, aren't saying it to, to just say random things. So it, it's definitely something that once I did that experiment for myself, for my betting habits and for how I handicap, it was very eye opening to me. It's something that I've always thought, you know, it's fun to handicap. It's not fun to write out your bets and try and figure out, you know, where am I going to go in this sequence? You know, oh, I have to do, you know, you know, ABC tickets here. Okay. Oh, I have to cross this horse out because now it's above my threshold in my, in my bankroll. And, you know, that's not the fun part, but that's the part that if you don't get good at, you're not going to become a successful winner year in, year out. And that's what's so great about just gambling in general is everyone takes it as like, oh, you lost for that day. And, you know, everyone, you know, will gang up on you on Twitter meanwhile for the next nine days you win but because you lost you know whatever it is 50 followers or however many people follow you you know it's just everyone takes it on such a if you if you lose for a day you're the worst but you know oh my god he won five days in a row and you barely hear any chirping because everyone's too excited because they've been winning but let's try and find some other winning angles here as we're going to start off with our three races from today race number nine is the first at Gulfstream park it is seven furlongs on the dirt it's the swale one hundred twenty-five thousand dollar listed stake nothing Really, for me here, I want to kind of hear your thoughts first. I had a couple in here. Uh, ben Tornado and Squints uh, scratched out for me, so Legalized was the only other horse I had circled. This horse went off at under even money. I was wondering if you kind of came up with any other ideas because I certainly don't want to play horses like this at four to five. Yeah, no, I I, I was pretty against Ben Tornado. Um, that last race was, was pretty bad. Um, not only was I not very impressed with the effort, but, um, but I also thought that the horses they ran that, you know, that they ran against was not all that good either. So, um, you know, and from a speed figure perspective, it was bad. Um, and then also looking at the previous races for Ben Tornado, the first race, uh, the debut mate, uh, debut maiden breaking effort was in the slop, but it really wasn't that good of an effort overall. So I, I, I had no confidence that, um, that Ben Tornado, um, had any real chance at this. Um, my top pick was Colorado cruiser. Um, I was a bit, uh, worried about the move from, um, Louis Mendez to, uh, Jack sister, 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 sin. Wow. I'll get there eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem being that Louis Mendez is very much a win first type of trainer um, and has horses cranked early on in their career in order to um, get them to the sales. And so I was a bit concerned that um, of the move to a, certainly a more patient um, trainer in Jack Sisterson, but, you know, luckily, you know, for us, there was a, a three month, um, a three month gap where the um, horse I believe was privately purchased and, and moved over to the Sisterson barn. Um, and so there's enough time in, in my mind for the horse to, to get acclimated to, um, um, to that barn in that last effort, um, the maiden breaking um, um, maiden special way win. I thought it was actually really impressive, you know, um, dueled on the lead and was able to, um, to be headed and still come back to win. So I was really impressed with Colorado cruiser, um, which was my top pick. Uh, like you, um, I, I liked, um, legalized, but I was never going to have that horse on top. 
Um, and so for, for me, it was just those two horses, um, Colorado cruiser and legalized for me, obviously looking through and when I realized legalized was going to take so much money and just looking through, I like your idea for Colorado cruiser. I ended up passing this race. I thought another interesting one might've been grand Mo the first, first time dirt, usually in a race when you, when you find a bunch of horses that have kind of lost in this type of idea, or, you know, can't find one, find the one that hasn't, you know, run the surface or run the distance before. So I thought Grandmo the first Paco Lopez aggressive rider, not the most aggressive ride last time out on the turf, but the synthetic starts. I mean, this horse wants to be forwardly placed four by two, three by one and a half. So I thought maybe Grandmo the first would be an interesting horse that even though I'm not betting in this race, someone that I can make a note of and just see how they run in this race and see how they do. But in this race for myself, it was a pass legalized, just too short on the board. Colorado cruiser from a man, Marshall. Let's see who gets it done here in the swale right now. In the swale stakes. The big favorite was away beautifully. Legalized. One of the first in to stride. Risk it's going to run with him from between horses. Bilal down at the inside. Led Dom Bro away in the top flight. Far outside goes Frankie's Empire. Then Grandmo the first. And out the back is Colorado Cruiser. It's crowded up front with Junior Alvarado and Bilal ahead in front. At the inside, it's Ladombro. Out in the center goes Legalize with Riskett right alongside him. Widest of all is Frankie's Empire ahead of a covered-up Grand Mo the first and Colorado Cruiser at the inside. The entire field separated by two and a half lengths, half a mile from the wire. Riskett's in the middle. Bilal's along the rail. Three wide Legalize, four wide Frankie's Empire. Then Ladom Bro, who tries a rebid with an inside lane. Grand Mo the first is next, and the trailer is Colorado Cruiser as they pass the three eights. Bilal still has the lead, a host of pursuers. On the far outside, here's the move from Frankie's Empire at a big number. Legalize tries to move with him. Risk it. Gaffleone hard at work. He still has a shot from there. So does Grand Mo the first and Ladom Bro as they straighten for the drive. Off the turn and the stretch drive. It's Bilal, who still has the lead. Frankie's Empire runs at him on the outside. Second, Ladombro is at the rail. They come past the eighth pole. Miguel Vasquez and Frankie's Empire rouse to the lead at 14 to 1. Grandmo the first trying to get into second, but the swale stakes to Frankie's Empire. And it's Frankie's Empire getting the job done. 81, the winning buyer. $30, the winning mutual. Obviously, not a winner for either of us. Grandmo the first ended up running a decent third, kind of ran back to that same figure on the turf last time out. Colorado Cruiser declines back off of that big, big buyer jump. And I mean, when you look at our winner here in Frankie's Empire, uh, 31 in the morning line, Michael Yates coming out of the Susan Crow Barn. I just, listen, you see that again, it's kind of, you know, you look at both sides. This one also had a big jump up last time, closing, had a hot pace. You know, how is this one going to find this here? Still gets the job done. Another double-digit winner. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, looking looking after the fact, right? You know, going from Susan Crowell, whom I'm unfamiliar with, to a trainer, Michael Yates, who um, you know really does uh, specialize in some of these um, sprint efforts. Is it, you know, it should have been something that I should have t- taken note of. The other part of this too is that Yates, you know, first with the trainer as of. Uh, the past 365 days, he was 25% small sample size, but it is what it is. Um, and progressive type, and the you know has increased the buyer speed figures the last three efforts. Um, I I did, um, I you know also coming second off the layoff too. You can probably project a, another improvement off that 77 buyer, um, which you know obviously uh, after the fact. Didn't need to improve all that much to be able to uh, to win. So, um, 
you know, my picks um, legalized in, in Colorado Cruiser both finished second to last and last. Um, so, you know, for me, this was definitely an opinion that was not great. I think the thing that you could take away from this race as well, if you just look at the odds of Frankie's Empire, all double digits, the one time it wasn't was a win in optional 62 when they went off at, you know, sub three to one. This is one that I just think that the public just can't get around. This horse runs the right type of race. And listen, I mean, if you look at this race, the horses that ran well coming out of this race, there was, you know, the, the two horses with the best figures of 85 and 86 did not run well. The other two horses that had 70s ran first and third. I, I think going forward, Frankie's Empire is one that just is, you have to kind of include somewhere around the number if he's going to be this double-digit price, if he keeps getting disrespected. And Grandmo the first ran, you know, his third straight 70 in a row. You know, whether it's turf, synthetic, or dirt. I mean, this one just seems to be, like, in this little niche now. And, you know, if this one can improve again and, you know, maybe get into the 80s, we'll see where this one can go. But, like you had said, the fact that my two horses scratched out and legalized, in a way, I feel like it saved me because my opinion, and unfortunately yours as well, just wasn't the right type of opinion in this race. And, you know, now this is a race where we can just learn and, you know, kind of take our lumps from. Yeah, exactly. I mean, ultimately... um I, I knew going in that I was going to be against the the heavy favorite and uh, Ben Tornado, um, which should have meant that uh, at least you know to me that um, that it would be okay for me to to um, take a, a little bit more of a swing um, in this race, but it would have taken a lot for me to get to Frankie's Empire. I mean, I even liked Bilal uh, better than I did um, Frankie's Empire, so. Um, yeah, this will definitely be one of those that I'll just chalk it up as a loss and uh, rinse and repeat the next time it happens. Can't win them all. Let's try to move on to the next race. Race number 11 from Gulfstream Park, the grade three Kittens Joy, one and one sixteenth miles on the turf. I feel like this race comes up difficult every single year I come onto this card. And for me, there was two in this race. I like Deadpan at eight to one, John Velasquez and Marcassi aboard. Just thought this one was, you know, slowly improving, kind of had the same idea last time out you know was a deep closer on the turf 78 was the buyer absolute horse like first world war was interesting had the 70s the last four races i wasn't i've always been one who thinks that people take too much out of the mucho macho man i wasn't trying to look too much into this now we're going back to the turf where the first two races were you know comparable to these had that nice one in 40 bullet workout and I think I should have looked more into that. For me, though, because Deadpan was 4x the price, I went with Deadpan. If you look at the other favorites here, Agate Road, I wanted no horse out of the Diana Beach. And I just thought that all these horses that were up front on slow paces, this is kind of felt the way that you felt last race about the favorite. I thought I could kind of get away in here and find some other horses. Noted coming out of the pulpit for Todd Pletcher. This is one that, if you look, just has kind of done a little bit of everything turf sprinting hasn't been on the dirt sprinting but it's done everything else and when the highest figure of 79 was on the dirt listen he's around 78 as well in 77 i just don't know if you're supposed to take a horse like noted in this spot when there's other horses that have run the same exact figures and you're getting such a better price yeah i mean i i echo a lot of the sentiment i mean i starting out this race is hard um there's a lot of horses in this field there's a lot of them that all kind of have all kind of beat each other up um and so because of that you know i really wanted to find a a a horse that was um you know 
a new face to to the group and you know um for me agate road would have been my top pick uh had they not scratched um just because i i really wanted a horse that was going to be close to lead to um at least the way that the turf course has been playing recently you don't need to be on the lead but you got to be close to it it's really really difficult to have any sort of huge wide sweeping big uh late kick sort of winner so for me i I really wanted to find a horse that was going to be near the lead that was going to have enough um kick down the lane to win and i thought agate road was probably that horse but with agate road scratching my top pick was first world war um you know for me the first two races on turf at uh, kentucky downs and in keeneland professionals all get out um i love the i love the races um and with tyler gaffleone uh on for both of those they switched it to dirt um in uh november and january my guess is mainly because they the turf racing um in that time was pretty limited um Gulfstream was trying to restore some of the track at that time and um and churchill downs late in the year turf course was not existent so um so my my the story that i wove myself was you know those two dirt races are are just to keep the horse going um and then you know coming out of the mucho macho man which i thought that was actually a really good effort um the fact that they didn't go into race 12 off the mucho macho man that they instead decide to go um to go here with the kitten's joy told me everything that i didn't know that that Brennan Walsh was looking to get this horse back to turf period end of story. I mean, if you get second in the, in the prep race for the Holy bull and um, by half a length and you still decide to go back to turf, that's turf horse. That's, that's all that says to me. So, so for me, my, my top pick was first world war. Um, but um, on, on a lot of my tickets, I, I spread, pretty deep in here i used um you know my second choice was takayo um so i had takayo deadpan number five i also had the the eight freedom principle um and also the the nine noted on on my tickets first world war for marshall for me i decided to split off and go with deadpan just being 4x the price if i'm wrong i'm wrong but i'm allowed to be wrong on that one a little bit more when I can get that nice nine to one price. Let's see who gets done in the kitten's joy right now. And the kitten's joy stags. Excellent start inside for Edgar Town, who reaches out for the early advantage, but Takayo is naturally quicker in the early stages. Takayo to the top. Edgar Town is second from First Ward Warnhow, third. Hammerstein fighting the rating. He's up over heels in fourth with deadpan on his outside. Noted's trying to work over. He's three wide ahead of Quirka, and the early trailer down inside is Freedom Principal. And the run around the first turn to Kayo, clear by a length and a quarter. Edgar Town together with First World War, they're second and third. Hammerstein a bit better to handle now. He's racing in fourth. Followed fifth by Deadpan, then Freedom Principal. Out the back, noted, and Quoka. They make their way to the backstretch. The opening quarter was 24-2. and two. Nice up top. It's Luis Saez and Tokayo in front of length and a quarter. First World War second. Edgar Town is now third. Hammerstein fourth as they start to string out a bit more. Down at the inside, that's an improving freedom principal who's racing together with Deadpan. Noted as second last, and Quoka is last of all. They went to half in 47 
and four. It's been an easy time of it for Takayo. He tries to make all here. He's a length and a half in front. First World War in attack mode. Second toward the rail. Edgar Town now third. Patient while fourth is Hammerstein ahead of Freedom Principal. This favorite noted starts to find his best stride outside of deadpan as they race past the quarter mile mark. Three quarters, one ten and four. Takayo still has the lead. Closer second. First World War down at the inside. Edgar Town off cover Hammerstein. This favorite noted has too much to do. There's an eighth of a mile to go. Here comes first World War and Tyler Gaffleone surging forward to take the lead. Hammerstein runs at him one more time. Hammerstein is second, but the winner is first World War. And it is first World War getting the job done. 84, the winning buyer. Solid $7 win mutual. And something that you brought up in there is so, so true. If they run so well in the prep and they don't go to the derby start and they go here, this is probably going to be a pretty savvy effort. Gets the job done here. I also probably should have known that when this horse took, you know, listen, four to one to five to two is not a big bump in cash. But when I'm, you know, that far off then on the odds from, you know, three to one to nine to one, almost noted runs absolutely terrible. So in this race, I like to, I took one because of the better price and listen, that'll happen. If I, if they, if this other one was above three to one, I, I would have taken them both and gotten a little bit back. Uh, Nice pick, Marshall. I, th I think a lot of your handicapping here is just stuff that if I had also realized, I would have been able to make this one more of a single and, and less of a two-horse kind of win-dutch scenario. Yeah, I mean, I I, I use this horse exclusively in doubles um, really, really hard. Um, uh, it was like 80% First World War and, you know, 20% um, – um, into Takayo and then also um, sprinkled in freedom principle a little bit just because of the uh, um, of the price dis the discrepancy there but um, it, it definitely worked out well and and it's it's always nice uh, when when your opinion is right but I mean first world war won that race pretty easily and and uh, certainly a horse to kind of keep keep an eye on um, you know coming into uh, the three-year-old year. Let's go on to the last race. Race number 12 from Gulfstream Park. It's the race that all of us want to talk about. The Holy Bull. It's a great three. One and one sixteen miles on the dirt. I'm going to keep this kind of quick because I didn't really like a lot in this race. I, I was staying away from fierceness. I've kind of made it uh, an object to just not play the juvenile horses. Kind of the same way you don't play the derby horse the rest of the year because everyone just kind of latches on. I didn't want this one. This one has run 95, 59, 105. Yes, two of those numbers are really good. But coming off the layoff, we obviously know that this is not the final stop for this one. They're going to get their points here and there, and they're going to try to figure out the best way to get this one into the starting gate that first Saturday in May. The only other horse I really came up with was a horse on the inside rail, Hades. This one, and again, this is something that I kind of just look for. Obviously, has had two starts, now goes first time routing, but, you know, $4,000 stud fee. They paid 134 this one. So this one obviously showed some type of ability, was a slow-paced race, but has won the first two starts. And listen, the 84 buyer, if fierceness runs the 59 again, we're going to smoke him. But obviously, I'm not expecting a 105. You know, if he runs a 90 and Hayes can improve, well, okay, now we've got, kind of got ourselves a race. And this one is, you know, we're going against, you know, under even money compared to Hayes, which, you know, is going to pay, you know, $15, $20 win mutuals. And the way I'd kind of been playing the card, you know, I wasn't, I obviously wasn't winning a lot but I thought this was kind of the right spot again to take a horse with some added money on the tote and just avoid a horse like fierceness. No one else really impressed me in this race. And so for me, it was just Hades and that was it. Yeah, I was completely against fierceness in this race. Um, I, 
I didn't know which horse was going to show up, whether it was going to be the champagne horse or the BC juvenile horse. And with that in mind and the horse being one to five, that automatically tells me I don't, I don't need that horse. I just don't, I have no confidence with which, which one's going to show up. That's okay with me. I, I will lose that battle every once in a while. I'm fine with that. But just, Knowing that there's such a big discrepancy, this horse wasn't going to get to the lead, right? Hades on the rail with Paco, dead set, gone, going to going to the lead. Um, and Fierceness was going to have to try to make a trip to be able to um, to not sit three or four wide um, going into that first turn. So, you know, for me, that I was just I was not very confident in the trip that Fierceness was going to get. Right, I I figured that uh, Hades goes uh, in V Gold was going to probably sit right off um you know domestic product has had some races where um you know uh, the horse has shown speed so i figured that if you had three horses that are that are inside of fierceness that are going to go that that could potentially cause a really big problem as far as the trip is concerned and when you look at the the two wins that fierceness has had perfect trips sat right off a leader or just went to the lead and was gone. And I knew that that wasn't going to happen this time. So I was, I was even more suspect of it. Um, so fierceness was a complete toss for me. My top pick was, was Hades. I agree that 84 last out um, blitzed the field, clearly overmatched the field. And um, I, I felt like there was a lot more in the tank after that. Um, you know, that, that horse was geared down, midway through the stretch and still one by eight still extended the lead. So, um, so for me, I thought that there was so much more left there, um, in the tank. So, um, for me, my top pick was the number one Hades. Um, my, my second pick, uh, that I had was the number three Atello. Um, given that, uh, the, the race prior, I liked first world war, um, whom, uh, had, was second in the Mucho Macho Man to Otello. I thought Otello um, showed a lot of grit coming down the stretch in the Mucho Macho Man and uh, felt like a horse that wanted to to get more distance. Um, and, and given Luis Saez on, on again, I figured that um, Otello would probably get um, uh, a little more of a, of a wiggle out of the gate um, to try to get a little bit better position than what Otello had in, in the debut in the Mucho Macho Man. Um, so for me, I, I, I was dead set on, on the one being my top pick with a little bit of the number three Otello. Hades, the consensus pick here in the Holy Bull. Let's even get done for me and Marshall right now. 33rd running of the Holy Bull. Fierceness was away mid-flight, and Johnny V's riding him for some forward position as the inside trio race on with it. Inveigled in Hades, 1-2. Otello is next. Into the clear goes Fierceness, but he has to go four wide. On the far outside, it's C-Streak. Well settled at the rail is Domestic Product. The early trailer is the long shot Dancing Groom. Around the clubhouse turn they go. The leader is Hades in front three parts of a length. Inveigled's in the middle and out three wide goes Fierceness. On a hold behind the speed is Domestic Product fourth at the inside. Then C-Streak and Otello. Out the back the trailer is Dancing Groom. The opening quarter complete. Hades has the lead. Inveigled right alongside in second. Three wide. Fierceness bides his time. He's now third. C-Streak is on the far outside. He's racing in fourth. So no breather for Fierceness as he has a horse on his outside. Back from the inside, that's a domestic product to race together with Otello. And the trailer is Dancing Groom. 
They make their way to the first finish line in the 2024 Holy Bull, and Hades has the lead. On the outside, Fierceness starts to shift gears, and there he goes. Fierceness for a neck advantage. Hades tries to counterpunch with the benefit of the inside four-wide C-streak, inveigled hanging tough from between horses. Another two lengths back to domestic product, and dropping back to last is Dancing Groom, just ahead of him, Otello. Fierceness not out of second gear yet. They went three quarters, and Fierceness goes to the first finish line, trying to put Hades away. Gaff Leon getting a response from domestic product, and it's time to go to work for the two-year-old champ. Fierceness is off the turn, but he's not home yet as Hades is dead game and battling back. Off-cover domestic product is charging hard. 16th to go. Fierceness coming up empty now. Hades has the lead. Domestic product is out of time. DJ Stables, Hades wins the... And it is Hades getting the job done. 90 the winning buyer looking at 2020. $20.40 to be the winning mutual. And it's kind of like we thought, you know, fierceness, listen, runs the 84 Hades improves to a 90. And it's kind of that perfect storm where again, when you play these one to five shots, just because they have good back form and come off the layoff. Yes. All two year olds are supposed to improve a little bit better as they kind of come into like the quote unquote teenage years being the triple crown years. Uh, I was just, it's nice to see this one land because at nine to one for, you know, if you look overall at all the odds boards and, you know, how much a percent does 9-1 to one have to win a race, if they run 100 times, Hades is an absolute overlay in this race. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and from my point of view, too, right, I, I was so heavy in, into doubles into Hades. Um, you know, it, it was um, it was what made my entire day, um, you know, going um, at $35 per dollar. Um, it, it and that that six to one ended up playing a little bit better just because of the amount of the amount of money that, that fierceness took. So, so from my point of view, it, it, it worked out super well. I was dead wrong about Otello. Otello had absolutely nothing and, and felt um, extremely one paced. Um, the interesting one to go back and, and take a look at domestic product, um, you know, domestic product made a huge middle move and flattened out um in in mid stretch you know it, it looked like domestic product was going to win by 10 coming around the turn but by that point the horse had already ran you know uh, a quarter mile uh, of trying to trying to catch up so um for me one to look out for moving forward is, is definitely domestic product and I, I think as well when you see a horse like that that has that middle move and doesn't finish out has now points for the derby this is kind of one where everyone's going to be like, oh, this will be the sneaky one that everyone, you know, maybe tries to put into their future pool. And for me, this is kind of one that if it, if the next few races improve and improve and improve, this one might be one that for me is more of a board hitter. And hopefully, you know, this one can be that 10, 15 to one line like we saw today. And then we can cash in on that as well. I think the blinkers coming off, you know, everyone always talks about blinkers on. It's such a key move. When the blinkers come off, it, for me, and reading also out of the Barry Meadow books, this is more of the, the trainer has fixed the problem. You know, blinkers go on to fix the problem. Blinkers come off when the problem is fixed. So maybe with domestic product now, big middle move blinkers off this race. Now we'll see even more focus next race. I think out of this whole race, uh, it's not so much the winner that we have to worry about. It's domestic product and how much better can this one get and how, you know, fierceness. Yes. Gets derby points, but we'll have to see what this one does going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like your, your comment about domestic product. I mean, ultimately they had the blinkers on when the horse was a two-year-old. So, um, you know, first race is a three-year-old um, and they, they ended up removing the blinkers. I'd have to look back to see if, if they removed the blinkers for the workouts, because it may be something where the horse is getting way too aggressive and way too on a bit um, during, during the workouts um, 
for their liking. So when they took the blinkers off, the horse is able to stretch out better, actually relax and, uh, and make the good sustained bid. I mean, ultimately domestic product still is not Chad Brown's best. Um, three-year-old, you know, obviously Sierra Leone is, is a real, real tough horse. So, um, I also think too, that there's a potential that domestic product moving forward is going to be lost in the betting just because it's not even going to be Chad Brown's top horse. Um, so, um, definitely something to kind of keep an eye out, um, moving forward. And with that, that is all the time we have for tonight's podcast. I do want to thank my special guest, Marshall, Marshall Sterling for coming on, talking all these great action at Gulfstream Park. Marshall, what do you have in the pipeline, if anything, and what are you kind of looking at uh, going forward to this weekend? What kind of tracks are you going to be playing? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be looking at um, uh, at the typical staples. I'll, I'll look to see what's what's going on at, at Aqueduct and Oaklawn and, and Gulfstream. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that Santa Anita will uh, return back to some amount of normalcy after, you know, 12 inches of, of rain. And so, um, we'll, we'll, I'm going to take a couple days on that to see how the track's playing. Um, you know, as the track dries out, especially with that much moisture the track is going to change a lot over a, a short amount of time. So it's definitely something that I, I'm, I'm going to kind of keep my eye out on and, and just watch. Uh, I probably won't wager until I'm, I'm comfortable with the track, not changing dramatically. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I want to thank everyone who listens to this podcast and the rest of the podcast on the In The Money Media Network. also want to thank my special guest, Marshall Sterling, for coming on, talking all things at Gulfstream Park. The show's main production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Forntel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. We will see you next time.